0: the flesh and it says if we suffer in our flesh we have ceased from sin what does that mean if we suffer in our flesh now we have ceased from sin if we have ceased from sin it is possible to be like Jesus Are you with me it is possible to be Jesus and in John 1412 Jesus says this truly I say to you whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Jesus says of us as believers, as sons and daughters, that we will not only do the things that he did, but we can do greater things than he did because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. That is incredible. Isn't that incredible? And I I believe Jesus didn't say that to tease us. He didn't say that because it's impossible. He said it because it is possible. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe there are two things which render the church powerless. Why don't we see signs following the word preached like they did in the New Testament? Why don't we see a fuller measure of healings and signs and wonders? Why? I think there are two reasons. One, I don't believe that Christians really deal radically with sin in their lives. They tolerate sin, live comfortably with sin. And secondly, don't really believe these words that Jesus said. If you are in me, you will do greater things than I did. We don't really take it seriously. And so the church is largely powerless. The church is largely meandering through rather than taking the kingdom for him. And uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2.9. He says, it is written, no eye has seen, nor ears heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Isn't that beautiful? That's a promise for you and I. God has amazing things for you and I to walk in. Our our hearts have not even imagined what God has for us. And my conviction, my absolute conviction, is that if we're going to see that kind of power in the church, there's a basic thing that has to be, we need to be living out by the power of the Spirit, and that is loving our neighbor as ourselves. Just loving people as we love ourselves, And I'd like to... Look at what that phrase means this morning. Also, by way of introduction, I want to say another thing. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. We live in a world of shortcuts. We live in a world of instant everything, and people come into the church with the expectation of instant everything, that suddenly we're going to see signs and wonders. Well, there's no shortcuts. And I believe if we are not loving our neighbours, as we are rendering ourselves powerless. We can pray for revival until the cows come home, until Jesus comes back, and unless... There's a reality that we are loving our neighbor as ourselves, that we are loving each other as we love ourselves. I don't know if it's going to happen. So I am challenging, but I'm trying to encourage you to be, that you would believe with faith for what God wants to pour out. We cannot sidestep good doctrine, and we cannot sidestep holiness in our lives. And for me, those are two things that we try to take shortcuts in. I'm not a person who likes to read the word. No, I would just rather pray. I'm just a prayer. I, I, I don't read the Word. No, no, no. Good doctrine. We are people of the Word and the Spirit. Right? If, you, if, you get, if you're only a person of the, the Spirit, this is the reality. I've looked a little at church history. People always get into weird stuff when they are not rooted in the words. We are rooted in the Word so that we can experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. At the same time, if, we do not, if we're not open to the Holy Spirit and we are only people that hide behind good do- doctrine, what happens? The Christian life becomes legalistic, boring, moralistic, and it's death. It must be the Word, good doctrine, and the Spirit. Now, if you are a Spirit person, if you love to pray and prophesy and pray for healing, I encourage you to get into the Word. If you are a Word person, and you like to read the Scripture, and you like to study, I want to encourage you, increase your faith in your life to pray for the sick, trust God for healing and salvation through your life. It is both. So we're not lazy. Much laziness in the church. Just don't want to bother to do it. Studying. Much laziness. Repent of laziness. Yes? I've had to repent of some things in my life, and I don't accuse anyone. I just say, if you find it hard to read the words. Some discipline. If you are nervous to pray for people, some faith, some courage. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Both the words and the spirits. So we can't, we can't bypass these things. 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter 4.17 says this, The judgment begins with the house of God. Judgment begins with the house of God. We can't sidestep these things. I, I want to say this lovingly, as I possibly can. Not everyone can be right. It's not logical. Not all religions can be right. In fact, Peter, uh, Paul writes to the church and says, actually in the church there are differences amongst you so that you can see who is approved by God. And yet, I hear in this individualistic age in which we live, people say, Don't judge me. It's my right to believe this. I want to say to you, not everyone is right. Paul says, Not everyone is right. That's why he says, I fight for my gospel, the gospel of Jesus. Not everyone is right. I want to say this to you. Every believer needs to be part of a local church. Period. Every believer. If, you have, if there are people that are wandering around in the wilderness claiming that they don't need to be a part of the church, let me say it plainly. That is wrong. It is unbiblical. It is not Christian. I don't care who, who they claim to be. Are you with me? This is simple. This is we 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 parade immaturity and say, Isn't it spiritual? No, it's not spiritual, it's immaturity. Repent of immaturity. You and I need to be encouraging each other up into Christ to grow up into Christ and become strong men and women, not weak, willed immature adolescents who run around doing whatever we may we want to do and create a theology to justify our sin. It's rubbish. Rant over. So, how do we understand this thing of the golden rule? How do we understand what James is saying about living by the royal law? Well, I said in my introduction, we are are under only one law in the scripture. James calls it the royal law. It's the law of the spirit. It's the law of love. It's the law that, James, that Jesus said in Matthew 7, 12. He said this, Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the summary of all the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying it's very, very simple. All of the law, all of the prophetic word, all of the scripture is summarized in this little thing. Do unto others as you would have people do to you. If you live like this, you are doing well, James says. You are living by the Spirit. Can I say the royal law is not the Mosaic law. It's not the Ten Commandments. You are not under the Ten Commandments as a Christian. You are not. The law is fulfilled in Christ, completely, the law has been done away with because of Jesus. And now, James is saying this. Remember when I, one of the first messages I preached, I said James was a traditionalist. He was a Jew. And he actually, he actually had to be corrected by Paul, who came back and challenged both him and Peter, who were, making, they were discriminating against Gentiles and Jews. And Paul comes and says, ah, this, you, 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 you've got it wrong. And he has to repent. Remember that? He changes now, this traditional man, this Jewish man, he writes this letter to us. And can you notice, if you read through the letter, there's no mention of the Mosaic law. There's no mention of circumcision. There's no mention of living, uh, washing your hands in a certain way before you eat. There's no mention of not eating pork. There's no mention of anything to do with the Mosaic law, as you read James. And it's written by a Jew, a traditional Jew. He doesn't seem to mention the law at all. He's, he does imply that Christians observe at least two of the Ten Commandments, and, and we'll look at that now. But he doesn't mention any of the others. Why is that? Why doesn't he t- mention the Ten Commandments? i tell you why. It's because you and I are under the grace of Jesus, and the grace of the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ encourages us and motivates us to live beyond the law. Way beyond the law at a much different and a much higher level. You see, when Jesus speaks, he says that murder is more than just simply killing someone. Jesus says, if you are angry in your heart against someone and you don't forgive them, you have committed murder in your heart. Jesus takes the bar from here and he puts it, yeah! All the law says, it says, you must not commit adultery. And so the Pharisees thought they were doing okay. And they were prepared to stone a young woman who was caught into adultery. And what does Jesus say? He lifts the bar from here to here. And he says, no, no, no. Adultery is not just the physical act of having sex with someone. He says, Jesus says, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you have already committed adultery with her. You are guilty under the law. Grace calls us to live here. Not here. Much more than just not killing and restraining from committing adultery. And so James says this, he says, this agrees with the Scripture. And that's what it says. It says, uh, if you fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture. And even when he quotes that, he doesn't quote the Ten Commandments. He doesn't mention them. He picks an obscure law, and he does quote a law. It's a law in Leviticus 19.15. Don't look at, look at it yourself. And it says... You shall not do injustice in court. And it says, you will not be partial against the poor or, or to def- defer to the great or the rich, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. That's actually what he says. So it's like James is saying, if you want to live under the law, I'm going to pick a law for you. And here it is. It's this one little law in Leviticus 19.15 that basically says, you treat the poor well. That's the law you, must live, you should live under. Everybody with fairness, and then you are doing well. So, we're called to live under one law law of grace. Two, it's not the Mosaic law, it's not Deuteronomy 14. I'm so tired of people giving me that stuff. All the blessings if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this. No, one's, no one sends me stuff about the curses, only the blessings. And if you want to live there, my friend, you are living under legalism, which is going to bring death into your life. Not freedom. Not liberty. Thirdly, the royal law of grace, the law of Jesus, the law of liberty completely fulfills the Mosaic law. It fulfills the Ten Commandments. In other words, Eton puts it like this. Just as animal sacrifices point to and predict the cross, so the Mosaic Law, including the Ten Commandments, point to and predict a higher level of godliness to which we are called as Christians. Are you with me? Yeah? So, what does it mean? Does it mean we are under the law? No, we no longer have to go to the temple to offer sacrifices for forgiveness of sin. It is done. It is finished. All the sacrifices did was to point to the fact that there was a perfect Lamb of God coming, sinless, perfect. He would take all of our sin upon Him. And Jesus on the cross, He stretched out His arms and He said, It is finished! It's done! Don't go back to living under that it's done. It's finished. I'm sorry I'm loud, but I'm passionate about this. It's finished. You don't have to live like that anymore. And are we under the morality of the Ten Commandments? Well, we certainly don't break the Ten Commandments. No, no. The, law, the, 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 the Grace fulfills the Ten Commandments. But we live way beyond the Ten Commandments. We live at a completely different level by the grace of God and by the um, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because you know what the law does? The law doesn't get you to love people. The law is punitive. It punishes. It says if you do this, if you don't do this, you are going to get punished. That's not grace. We are fulfilled. Christ fulfills all of the law and grace calls us to a much higher level of living. Are you with me? So grace, grace enables you to love people. You know, the, the, the law says, um, uh, well, let me pick another one. Uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Just, just, you know, if someone stabs you, you stab them back. Now, you know what Jesus says? He says, no, no. He says, I, I, I've come to fulfill the law. This is what I say to you. Love those who persecute you. Bless your enemies. The law doesn't require you to do that. The Lord just says, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. No, Jesus says, no, no, grace calls you much higher. Love those that persecute you. When someone is angry with you, you punch them back, you turn the other cheek. Grace calls us much higher, much, much higher. That's walking by the Spirit. And so Galatians, Romans, and uh, James call this royal law, the law of Jesus, the law of the Spirit, the law of faith. Man, it's challenging, but it's encouraging, it's liberating, it's freeing. And the third thing I want to say then is, James says, love your neighbor as yourself. Who's our neighbor? Well, <laughs> who's our neighbor? Jesus dealt with that, didn't he? With the little story of the man beaten up by robbers on the side of the road. And your never your neighbor is never the one that you want to live next to. It's never the one that you hoped you would have next to, to live next to, isn't it? Your neighbor sometimes is the most difficult person. Isn't it, Jill? Most difficult people who are rude and uh, who sometimes are loud and don't let you sleep because they're partying at three o'clock in the morning and you want to sleep. And yet you've got this neighbor. And Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Henry Nowen, a wonderful writer, he says this, a community is a place where the person you least want to live with is always there. Isn't it true? People you find difficult to get on with. That's what communities are made up of. Difficult people. And we're called to love people with all of our hearts. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 5? Remember he said this in verse 36, 46. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You there must therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's saying we love perfectly like God loves. We love indiscriminately. We don't choose who we love. Uh, you might wish that Jesus had said that we are called as believers to love our friends, our family, and fellow Christians. But Jesus didn't say that. Love your friends, your family, and fellow Christians as you love yourself. No, he said he said, love everybody, your neighbor. And actually the Greek there, I've had a look at it, it means everybody and anyone. So can I just try and define a little more? That means rich and poor. It means black, white. It means American. It means English. It means Indian. It means Pakistani. It means Chinese. It means South African as well. It means you love the South Africans with a funny accent. You love them. You love Christians. You love non-Christians. You love the Welsh. As hard as that is, you love Scots people. You love everybody. Everybody. And he's talking about agape love. The same word that is used in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, that's how you love. You love with agape. It's not philia. Philia is the Greek for brotherly affection, for family. He doesn't say we love like that. Of course we love our family, but it's more than that. He doesn't even say you love with eros, to score with the opposite sex. He's not saying that. It's not eros. He's saying it's not about physical sexual love. It's about agape. It's about unselfish other-centered love. That's how we are to love. Our neighbor as ourself. And R.T. puts it wonderfully. He says, agape is that love which seeks the highest good of others without being a respecter of persons. I love that. The highest good of everybody without being a respecter of persons. In other words, you don't just do stuff for people who can bless you back. You do stuff for people that can't bless you in any way. That's agape love. There's no selfish reward for you in it at all. What does the business world say? You be kind to people and you treat them well so that they treat you well. Uh, that, might ha- that might be how worldly relationships work. That's not, it's not Christian testimony. Christian testimony says you love those who cannot love you back. You give yourself away to others who cannot reward you in the least. That's why we call to love the poor. We can get nothing back from the poor, and that is agape love, completely unselfish. Can I say to you that um, that's the thing that's going to hold your marriage together? Agape love, unselfish love. Uh, I read a quote this week, which I loved. A friend of mine said this: "Marriage." is an amazing adventure of continual incompatibility. Beautiful. That's what marriage is. It's this raging adventure of mutual incompatibility all of your life. And you get to share your life with someone who's not the same as you, who thinks differently as you, and you're just on this adventure together, and you get it right sometimes, and you mess up sometimes, but it's glorious. That's what it is. Mutual, unselfish, agape love. The golden rule is that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Now, I I, I need to say this. What does James mean by self-love? Is God saying that he approves of primping, preening, narcissistic people who walk around saying, you know, those kind of people just give everyone a pain? Is is, is that what God is saying? No, I I think he's saying completely the opposite. You see, a wrong kind of self-love means that you will respect people for what they can give you. You'll only want to respond to people who can give you something back. That's the wrong kind of self-love. You'll love people who can do you a favor, who can one day pay you back for your kindness or your generosity. And I believe it's the same with with our sexual lives. Any, 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 any sexual activity outside of marriage is self-love. It's the wrong kind of self-love. And it always backfires and causes pain and rips and tears people. So what is James saying? By loving others as you love yourself. He's simply saying this. He's saying what Jesus said. Treat others as you would want them to treat you. That is the right kind of self-love. The way that you treat yourself, you treat other people with that same kind of respect. All of us get out of bed in the morning and brush our teeth and shower and feed our bodies. He's saying with that, that, that's the appropriate measure with which we love others, is with the measure that we love ourselves. Is that clear? In other words, the golden rule is this. How many of you want to be treated with respect, dignity, and honor? Can you please raise your hands? I'm the first. Thank you. How many of you want to be treated with care, thoughtfulness, unselfishness? All of us. How many of you would like to be, be, be treated without manipulation, rudeness, and selfishness? So what does Jesus say to all of us? He says, you want to be treated like that? You treat everybody else like that. Simple. Simples. This is what set me free this week. You know that also liberates you, if we treat each other like that, it liberates us from pseudo-guilt. Pseudo-guilt. Feeling guilty about the wrong stuff. Some people try to love others more than they love themselves. If you try and love others more than you love yourself, you are going to kill yourself. You are going to go against your, you're going to deny both your personality and who God has created you to be. And I want to say to you that not even Jesus did that. Not even Jesus did that. And he's the perfect son of God. Why do I say that? Because Jesus often removed himself from crowds. Because he wanted to be with his father. He often removed himself from the disciples. He said, no, no, no I can't be with you guys anymore. I need to pray. Do you know that Jesus used strong language? He called Herod a fox. It's strong. He, called, he said there's some wolves in the church through Paul. He uses that language. Since there are wolves in the church. Then watch out for the wolves. Jesus said this of the Pharisees, you hypocrites, you vipers. In fact, he said, you smell like what comes out of your stomach. Yes, he did. He said, you smell like what is in a tomb. What is inside of a tomb, you smell like that. You smell like a fart, he said to them. He used strong, strong language, and he was the perfect son of God. When he was... When he was tired, he slept. When he needed food, he ate. He loved himself as perfectly, and he, at the same time, didn't let himself get shoved around by everyone. That's self-love. That's treating yourself with dignity and saying, No, no, I won't stand for that in my life. No, I won't. You hear what I'm saying? This is not that we kind of, like, let everyone walk all over us. No, no, as you love yourself, you treat yourself with dignity and respect, You treat everyone else with dignity and respect. I love, uh, there was a quote by Rick Warren that I left out, which says this, Be polite to everyone, especially those who are rude to you. Not because they are good, but because you are. Agape. We love ourselves with agape love. Unselfish love for ourselves. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And I'm saying to you, as we do this, as we walk in the Spirit deliberately, as we walk in the power of the Spirit, we automatically fulfill all of the Mosaic Law. And not only do we do fulfill every detail on the Mosaic Law, we live at an infinitely higher level of godliness, of righteousness in our lives. This is walking by the Spirit. The Ten Commandments actually limits, your, put a ceiling on righteousness in your life. Because all they say is do not kill, do not covet, do not murder. Doesn't call you to love people, doesn't call you to forgive people, doesn't call you to bless your enemies. Grace does. So, I conclude with this. Three things while loving our neighbor keeps us from being a respecter of people. One, because our neighbor is everybody. Everybody, our neighbor. Two, we treat people according to the royal law. In other words, how we would want people to treat us. And fulfilling the royal law, this golden rule, produces positively in our lives what the Mosaic law tries to do negatively. And I've already mentioned it. Law, the the, the um, Ten Commandments, especially 6, 7, 8, and 9, try to, to um, legislate protection for people by saying, if you break this, you're going to be punished. They try to guarantee uh, le- and leg- legislate against abuse. But it doesn't actually do enough. It doesn't actually do enough. <laughs> And this is what James is saying. He's saying, if you show favoritism in the church, you sin. Why? Because you abuse people. That's what he's saying. And he says, "It's it's if you do that, it's like you've even broken the Mosaic law. That's how bad it is. Did you know that the law is not for the righteous? If you are in Christ, the law is not for you. It's only for the unrighteous. Why do I say that? Well, because Paul says that. He says it in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. He says, understand this. The law is not laid down for the just, for those who are in Christ, for those who are saved. But it is set aside for the lawless, the disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for the unholy, for the profane, for those who strike their fathers and their mothers, for murderers sexually immoral, for those who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whoever else is contrary to sound doctrine. That's what Paul says. The law does not apply to you if you are a believer. Why? All of your righteousness is in Christ's. And He is your perfect righteousness. There's no sin that when He looks upon you, He doesn't see any sin. And as you walk by the Spirit, you fulfill all of that anyway. This is good news, man. This is so liberating. This is fantastic. And so, that's why Jesus fought with the Pharisees all the time. Because they thought they were righteous. And he says, man, what's in your heart is is terrible. Just admit your own sin. Thank God that you and I are not judged by the Mosaic Law. If we were judged by the Mosaic Law, we would be doomed for all eternity, every one of us. James says in verse 21 of chapter 1, we're not judged by the Mosaic law anymore. We are judged by the perfect law that brings freedom. We are under the Spirit. So, I want to encourage you. Gaze into the perfect law Jesus, the perfect law of liberty, the Holy Spirit. Gaze into His face, and you know what He'll say about you? He'll say, you're okay. He'll say, you're doing well. And He'll say to you, go and live your life. Be a doer of the Word, living free, not living guilty, living free, not letting people put stuff upon you, living free because you are free in Him, and be a doer of the Word. And as you are simply a walker by the Spirit, as you simply walk through your life by the Spirit. Hearing God saying, do this, don't do that, you please Him in every way, you fulfill the Mosaic law, and you know what you do? You show other people that there's a God in heaven that loves them, even though they're dead in their sin, even though they are rude and arrogant. I always say this, I am a dirty, rotten scoundrel. I am a criminal under my own hat. I don't care what people think of me. That is all true, but Jesus has set me free. Jesus has liberated me. He doesn't see that anymore. He sees only His Son. When He looks at me, He sees Jesus, and I am free. I've made many mistakes in my life, but you know what? I'm free of all of them because of Christ who set me free. It's incredibly freeing and liberating. You don't have to walk through your life guilty about anything because the Spirit of God has said that you're okay because you are in Christ. Live your life loving other people as you would have them love you so that you can show them there's a King in glory who loves them perfectly. What does the Scripture say? For God so loved the world that He sent his son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, would have eternal life. That is good, good news. That's the royal law that we live under. Nothing to do with the Mosaic law, but the law of liberty, the law of freedom, the law of the spirit.